We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 501 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, February 6th, 2023. Did you have a nice weekend? I hope that you had a nice weekend. I hope that your weekend was as good as Scott Turner's weekend. Yeah, I said Scott Turner, as in former commander's offensive coordinator, Scott Turner. Uh, He has a new job. The Las Vegas Raiders on Friday afternoon announced the hiring of our guy Scott as the team's passing game coordinator. You know, this Friday will mark a full month since the commanders fired Scott. January 10th was when that happened. And yet still, uh, no commanders offensive coordinator. Uh, Not yet, anyway. Uh, I hope that your weekend was as peaceful and as kumbaya as the postgame interaction after Sunday afternoon's Pro Bowl games between former Redskins quarterback and current ESPN NFL and college football analyst Robert Griffin III and former Skins quarterback and current Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. This happened after Sunday afternoon's Pro Bowl games. Did you see Robert and Kirk talking? Uh, Now, I did not watch a single second of the Pro Bowl games. I could not have cared less, but I did get a kick out of Robert interviewing Kirk. Boy, was that not bizarre. If you are a Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders fan, I mean, those two could not stand each other when they were both on the skins. It may well be that those two still cannot stand each other. You know, Robert has taken shots at Kirk uh, during Robert's time at ESPN, but I tell you what, it was nice to see them talk as they did. You see, even enemies can make nice, uh, at least in a phony way, on television. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It was in the 2012 NFL Draft that the Skins did something very bold and very smart, and a lot of people killed the Skins for doing this at the time, but this turned out to be a brilliant move. The Skins took a quarterback in RG3 in the first round, and then took another quarterback in Kirk in the fourth round. A bold and aggressive draft strategy in trying to address the most important position in sports. I loved the strategy at the time. I still love the strategy now, and I hope 
that that kind of thinking is being employed by the commanders regarding the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, Yes, the commanders have Sam Howell, but also, yes, the team needs to be very open to taking a quarterback in the 2023 draft, potentially in the first round. Coming up next segment is a special guest, NFL draft and college football analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Uh, We on Saturday afternoon had the Senior Bowl uh, to conclude Senior Bowl week, which is a significant week of practices and interviews as NFL draft season gets going. Thor Nystrom was at Senior Bowl week. He is tremendous at talking and analyzing the NFL draft and college football. And so Thor is going to spend some time with us talking about the Senior Bowl quarterbacks, including Tennessee's Hendon Hooker. Yes, the Virginia Tech transfer. Uh, He is coming off a serious injury, a torn left ACL. But is he someone who the commanders should be considering taking at some point in the 2023 draft? Maybe say in the second round. Uh, Also, Thor will give us his takes on the top quarterbacks in the 2023 draft. Who could potentially fall to the commanders' number 16 overall pick? Whether the commanders should consider trading up in the first round for a quarterback, what the team may have in Sam Howell and more. Thor Nystrom, the mighty Thor, will be with us next segment. Uh, We gots to talk wizards on the show. What a brutal weekend for our wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A. Smith, thank you. Not one, but two choke job losses by the Wizards. Uh, Friday night, a 124-116 loss to the Portland Trailblazers at Capital One Arena. The Wizards blew a 20-point second quarter lead. Saturday evening, a 125-123 loss at the Brooklyn Nets. The Wizards blew a 23-point first quarter lead and a 21-point third quarter lead. And Kyle Kuzma now is injured. And Bradley Beal missed yet another game. I have a proper sounding off on the Wizards coming up. Uh, I will talk college basketball. Very busy Saturday. Domination from Maryland at Minnesota on Saturday night. An 81-46 win at Minnesota. The Terrapins be looking good lately. Uh, Georgetown nearly pulled off a big upset win, uh, but did ultimately lose a 68-62 loss to number 24 UConn at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. And the Hokies beat the Hoos. Virginia Tech knocked off number six Virginia 74-68 at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. A lot to talk about. Uh, I also have a capital segment for you. Yes, the NHL has been in the midst of its all-star break. And the Caps' bye week is upon us, but two notable contract extensions have been announced by the Caps in recent days. And I have some thoughts on a Nationals pitching acquisition that happened over the weekend. Ain't no podcast or show that covers Washington, D.C. area sports like this podcast does. It's great to have you with us. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to grow your business or practice and reach thousands of people in the Washington, D.C. area at a very affordable price, podcast advertising works. Hit us up, see what we can do for you. Again, that email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Drew of Friday show being episode 500 of the podcast. And Drew has an idea involving 
Our Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder writes, Drew, off your major milestone of episode 500, perhaps it's time to consider a spin-off. I understand that the reality show Below Deck is a hit right now. Uh, us fans of the once glorious NFL franchise in D.C. deserve some scheduled fun. Here's my pitch. The Life Below Deck podcast, although the word that he uses is not deck, it's another word, and you take out uh, the vowel in deck, the E, and uh, substitute that with uh, another vowel, and I'll let you figure that out. Anyway, <laughs> continues Drew. He says, starring Danny Boy, synopsis, here Al discuss the hilarious and sometimes horrifying exploits of the staff on the Danny's super yacht uh, in the quest to keep vanilla ice cream stocked and dodge Congress. Uh, episode one, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. In all seriousness, your show is a staple of my weekdays. It is far better than any DC sports talk radio show or podcast. On Thursday, you said sports is about memories, excitement, and hope. You highlight each in an informative, entertaining way for our beloved Nats, Caps, Wiz, and Er Menders. Thank you. Major congrats on your success and the deserved accolades. Well, thank you very much for the nice words, Drew. I do like your reality show idea. You know, I don't watch Below Deck, uh, but my wife loves Below Deck. So I have seen a little bit of it. Actually, it seems pretty good. Uh, The television show that I'm watching right now is Animal Kingdom, uh, which is done. The show is over, but uh, we're making our way through the final season. Animal Kingdom is outstanding. And no, it is not a nature show, which is what I initially thought. Uh, Animal Kingdom is a TNT show about a fictional crime family in California. An outstanding show. If you haven't uh, tried it, I would highly recommend at least giving it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Email from Joel Charney writes, Joel, congratulations on reaching the milestone of episode 500. I hope that this whole podcast adventure continues to work for you. Uh, Just writing to say that I'm loving the daily interviews. I'm listening to the George Perry interview, and it is outstanding. Former fan, because of what he saw (laughs) in the Redskins operation, sexual misconduct scandal, not a surprise. Ouch. I hope you'll keep it up as the interviews really make for a great show. Well, thank you for that, Joel. Much appreciated. And yeah, credit the guests. Uh, They have been outstanding, including George Perry. Uh, So George Perry, a sports business expert. He's a professor at George Mason School of Business. He was the Redskins Vice President of Strategic Marketing from November 2007 to January 2009. He is a former Skins business executive. Uh, He joined us on this past Thursday show, episode 499, to discuss the Commander's rebrand on its one-year anniversary. And uh, yeah, George did not love his time working for Dan Snyder and the Skins. Uh, Some very telling stuff from George Perry on last Thursday's show. And speaking of last Thursday's show, email from Jimmy in Connecticut. Uh, writes Jimmy, I very much enjoyed listening to you reminisce about 2.2.22 on the one-year anniversary of that historic day. In particular, uh, your reminiscing made me remember a paper that I wrote in law school about the litigation surrounding the name uh, in a short and concise 42 pages, no less. I dug the paper out of my old computer and in reading the paper again, especially the prologue and chapter one, The paper felt like Groundhog Day. My prognostication skills may not have been as on point as Punxsutawney Phil, but I thought that you may enjoy the paper. You could skip over the boring legal bits. Uh, Thank you, Jimmy. And yes, sure enough, attached to Jimmy's email is his 42-page paper 
for Georgetown Law. Uh, the title of the paper is What's in a Name? A Saga of the Attacks on the Washington Redskins name. And Jimmy, no, I did actually read some of the paper. I didn't read the entirety of the paper, but I did read some of the paper. Uh, you see, how many other NFL teams, heck, how many other sports teams, period, can provide enough material for a 42-page paper for law school? I mean, think about that. A 42-page paper for law school. Only our football team. Only our football team. But I tell you what, at whatever law school you're talking about, I know one thing that absolutely should be taught, and that is if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and once what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace Take care of your family. Well, we on Saturday afternoon had the Senior Bowl at the University of South Alabama's Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile, Alabama, and a man who did an excellent job of covering Senior Bowl week and who is one of the best people out there when it comes to talking NFL draft is the man who joins me now. NFL draft and college football analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. You can follow Thor on Twitter at ThorKU. Hey, Thor, how are you? Always good to see you, Al. I'm doing great. Very good. Uh, I wanted to have you on to talk Senior Bowl quarterbacks uh, with Washington once again embarking on an offseason in which the team has a major quarterback uncertainty. Let's start with this. Uh, This did seem to be an underwhelming crop of Senior Bowl quarterbacks this year. Do any of the quarterbacks who you saw in Mobile this past week have legitimate potential to be first-round picks in the 2023 NFL Draft? Categorically, no. Uh, it, it was an underwhelming crop for sure, and they, they fell beneath the bar that most of us were expecting even heading in. Jay Kaner is definitely the winner of the week from the quarterback room, and he was the guy. He got voted the game MVP. He also got voted the, the best uh, practice quarterback in his group, and both those were justified. But, like, it's not like Jay Kaner lit the world on fire there. He was just competent. Like, Jay Kaner showed up and did everything that we thought he would. 
you know, as far as like the accuracy, as far as the speed that he processes the field, the decisions, you know, it's just like bang, bang, bang. And, you know, like, and, and, and his lower base is like, like his, his footwork is his feet work. It's consistently good. Whereas like a lot of these kids here, like their base was just all over the place when they'd be throwing, but he impressed just in comparison to the others, numerous guys disappointed. And then a couple of them just hit it down the fairway. Like I thought a, a guy like Clayton Toon from Houston he had a couple of things that he could have answered here, and he really didn't. It, it, it's not like he had a, a, a horrible week, but he just hit it down the fairway. He just was what we sort of saw from tape. But then there was a couple of guys that that badly underwhelmed. Jaron Hall would, would lead that group from BYU. The Senior Bowl MVP and Fresno State quarterback, Jake Hayner, uh, you on FantasyPros.com ranked him as your number two Senior Bowl quarterback. Your number one Senior Bowl quarterback on FantasyPros.com was Tennessee's Hendon Hooker, uh, with whom a lot of people listening uh, are familiar, given his time at Virginia Tech. He's, of course, coming off a serious injury, the torn left ACL that he suffered this past November 19th. To what extent does the injury impact your evaluation of him? It's, it's something we're at the combine with the medicals. They need to, to dig into that and see when he's coming back. But assuming that he gets uh, signed off on by, by the team uh, medical staff, I, I like, I, I think he's, he's like fire on Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is a guy who was helped at the senior ball, despite the fact that he couldn't get on the field because of his injury. Now, like in, in the interview rooms, you know, he's, he's charming people and stuff like that. But the bigger manifestation of it was the disappointments of the quarterbacks on the field. And like there was no doubt of any of, of, of us leaving that event that if Hendon Hooker had been healthy enough to be on the field, he would have been far and away the best quarterback that was there. Unfortunately for him, he just wasn't able to. But like it, it was also a missed opportunity, for instance, from Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback who decided to turn it down in comparison to the other quarterbacks out there. I think he could have helped himself. But just based on the way that those guys in the field were playing, Hendon Hooker is helped by that just by definition. If not for the torn left ACL, would Hendon Hooker be viewed as a potential first-round pick in the 2023 draft? I would say no, but I think the idea that he would be a second-rounder would be more solidified, like with a bullet. I, I think that injury and then his age, those two things in conjunction are the things that put him a little bit more on the line. But like the nightmare scenario for Hendon Hooker coming into this process where he knew he basically just had to stand firm on the tape that he had provided from this past season, a little bit from the one before whatever, which is very good. Right. But like, he couldn't go out there and prove like this, is the kind of athlete I am, this is the kind of arm I have, like you just have to go off the tape or whatever. Worst case scenario for him or were that those guys outside the consensus, top four quarterbacks that they were going to come into the, the pre-draft process and have like bonanzas of a process, like a guy like uh, Jaron Hall to pass him or like some of these other guys beneath him, Tanner McKee to pass, T- Tanner McKee, obviously not at any all-star game because of when he came out, but like th- those kind of guys to end up passing him. And at least at the senior bowl so far, it's so far so good for Hendon Hooker because none of those guys did. Like, I, I think even Jake Hander with what he did, even though he was impressive in comparison to the others, I don't think he passes Hooker on anybody's uh, draft list. So, so Hooker's sitting okay right now but that injury and the age he's coming out of college at both those things introduce a little bit of doubt into his evaluation that may end up pushing him outside of the top 50 we'll just have to see you're always so good at coming up with nfl comps for nfl draft prospects do you have your hendon hooker comp yet 
I do. I've been going back and forth on that one. Um, the one that I have right now for him is Daniel Jones. I, I don't know if I'll end up keeping that one, but Daniel Jones is a guy, you know, like after his draft, he, when he got taken so high, sort of the perception of him started to change. A lot of people forget Daniel Jones coming into the draft process. Few people looked at him as a first round guy. And then he just sort of rose and rose and rose, especially when Gettleman fell in love with him during the process, whatever. But there's there's some similarities in there in terms of the build, in terms of the mobility, um, and, and in terms of being able to make good throws on your first and second reads. The, also, some of the weaknesses are the same. The thing with Hendon Hooker that I would have loved to have seen if he had been healthy during this pre-draft process is, in a more conventional pro-style offense, when you have to go across the, the field in your progressions, get down to your third read and your fourth read, like, how quick are those decisions coming? And then how are you getting the ball out after you make those decisions? Um, that stuff we just didn't get to see. Josh Heupel, the coach at Tennessee, one of the best offensive play callers in all the nation. Josh Heupel is the reason that Drew Locke was viewed as the prospect that he was and got the money that, that he ended up getting. Because Josh Heupel, the true freshman year, or the retro freshman year of, of Drew Locke, schemed him into like 15 wide open touchdown passes. And you do see a little bit of that with Hennon Hooker's tape as well. But just as far as what he's submitted so far, obviously his draft import is is fairly high and just waiting on on the referendums of some of these other quarterbacks that are in the class. You mentioned the consensus top four quarterbacks in the 2023 draft. Uh, they are, in some order, Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, Kentucky's Will Levis, and Florida's Anthony Richardson. Uh, things, of course, can change, but right now, what is the Thorne-Nystrom top four at quarterback for the 2023 draft? My order would be Young, Stroud. Then this is where it gets tough. I think I'd probably roll the dice on Richardson against Levis, just personally. Um, Levis does have the tools, but last year obviously badly regressed. And the way that I see those two guys, if you're going to shoot the moon on potential, shoot the highest. And Anthony Richardson clearly has the highest ceiling as far as the physical tools. In this class, Levis is still a risk, as is Richardson, but I'm just going to go with the higher upside if i got to take that. So with the Commanders, uh, they in the 2023 draft have the number 16 overall pick. Do you see the potential for any of those top four quarterbacks to fall to 16? I think Richardson's a guy that could get there, yeah. Um, as far as Levis, the NFL seems to be higher on him than I am. And to be fair to Levis... His tape in 2021 was a lot better than 2022. But what you see with a lot of evaluators with him, it's sort of like, oh, we'll toss that out because, you know, the Kentucky lost a bunch of guys after the 2021 season. But what I'm thinking is if, if your performance craters along all these various different metrics when you don't have – the high-end supporting cast around you because the year before in 2021 Levis had one of the best offensive lines in the entire nation he had Wandale Robinson um the second round receiver um and then you know he still had Chris Rodriguez or Chris Rodriguez missed the first month of this past season with a suspension he was there the, the entire time the year before but like Kentucky supporting cast 2021 was very very good and then this past season they they lost the offensive line they lost Wandale and then Rodriguez is out for a month and Levis's play just fell off uh, a cliff Whereas with Richardson, you know that you're just sort of building, building, building. And if the light goes on for him, then, I mean, he's going he's going to be really hard to defend. Like almost in, in, indefensible, like once he gets to that point, if he ever does get to that point. So, again, that's the guy, if, if I'm going to roll the dice, that, that I'm going to do it on. And I think the NFL, they're weighing in more of that risk threshold with regards to Richardson's evaluation. And I think that's why there's a much better shot that he would get down to Washington's pick. 
Would Anthony Richardson be worthy of the commanders training up from 16 in order to take him? It's it's all about your risk threshold, um, you know, and, and it's easier for me to say outside of the NFL, because if I screw up on a decision like that, it doesn't cost me my job. Whereas with the NFL, you see them constantly skirting away from those guys that aren't going to uh, contribute in year one because their jobs are on the line. Right. Like and so they, they need to get sort of the, the immediate feedback from the picks that they the investments that they made and stuff like that. Um, and and the, like, like we talked about, the th- risk threshold with Richardson is just higher. Um, but as we get closer to draft day, the, the fervor for him might get higher as well. And Washington, Al, as you know, they're in a decent situation here where they like what they saw of Howell at the end of the season. Like you could you could sort of uh, shoot the moon on Richardson's upside and then go into next year. You know that Richardson is not going to be starting. Maybe you give Howell the run there and, and let Richardson learn behind him. And then if Howell is a bonanza, great. If Richardson turns out to be a bonanza, great. If both of them are bonanza, great. Um, and if one of them doesn't work out, hopefully the other one did. I'm with you. I want the commanders to be very open to getting Anthony Richardson. But uh, more and more, it is sounding like they, in order to take him, uh, may well have to trade up in the first round. We're talking Senior Bowl and 2023 NFL Draft with NFL Draft and college football analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. You and I spoke last year very shortly after the commanders took quarterback Sam Howell in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, He ended up not making his NFL regular season debut until week 18 of this season, but he played well uh, in what was a 26-6 blowout win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. And the reporting has been that head coach Rod Rivera is telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam is positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Uh, Where are you with Sam Howell? Can you see him being a quality starting quarterback in the NFL? I always liked his tools. You know, I mean, like he's, you know, obviously he's on the smaller end, but as far as like a rhythm thrower in the pocket, that stuff's good. And for a smaller quarterback, he can get the ball downfield and on the money, he threw some of the prettiest D balls of anybody in that class last year. The one thing I was concerned about for him and I, you know, I want to keep an eye on in the NFL was goes back to that thing that we were talking about with the progressions, right? And in, in the offense that he was coming from playing, you know, under Phil Longo there, it was a lot of the half field read stuff. And so a lot of those, those like his, his Sam Howell's read were pre-snap, right? Because it, it, it's based on where the numbers of the defense are. So basically depending on where the defensive alignment is, you're cutting the field in, in half for yourself. I wanted to see Howell going through more of those. That's a little bit where the, the Baker Mayfield uh, comp, it broke down just a little bit for me just because I felt like at Oklahoma Baker had more of an opportunity to go through those progressions. It wasn't to say that Howell couldn't do it. It's just that he hadn't proven the concept of it for me. Um, and obviously Howell's early work in the NFL has been a thumbs up in that regard, very small sample size so far, but I think in conjunction with like the prospect we thought before his last season and speaking of a player that lost, so much from the year before that like we were just talking about another example of that from this class, but Howell, of course he had lost a metric ton from the season before Javante Williams. He'd lost Michael Carter, lost Diami Brown, you know, you sort of go down the line. Um, and for him to show what he did early on in his NFL career, I think, I think it's at least worth uh, sort of sussing that idea out and seeing if he could be uh, an NFL uh, caliber starting quarterback. 
Yeah, what did you think about Sam Howell falling all the way to the fifth round of the 2022 draft? I get that he didn't have the greatest final season at North Carolina, but there was context to that. And geez, I mean, he went from in the 2021 offseason being viewed as the potential number one pick in the 2022 draft to then falling to its fifth round. I mean, that to me felt overly punitive. A thousand percent, yeah. You know, the stuff with the quarterback class last year, um, I would love to see an investigative report on it someday or like for, <laughs> for the whole story to come out. Because not only was it a shock to the media, it was also a surprise to the NFL. I mean, this is outside of Howell, but just one example of this. If, if you look at the attendees in the green room of last year's draft, Malik Willis and Matt Corral were the two quarterbacks that were in there. The NFL didn't believe even that day that those guys were going to fall to round three. And they certainly didn't believe a guy like Sam Howell was going to drop to round five. It was like sort of the NFL collectively was like, we'll hold off and wait till next year when Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and, and Levis and these guys that they're going to be coming out or whatever. But I like, it's not just one guy. It's, it's the multiple guys where I can't really make heads or tails of it outside of just all of the 32 individual teams, you know, sort of deciding like we're, we're going to put a, put a, pause on this quarterback class go to the next one but i think that opened up opportunities down the board for people to get big time quarterback values and a quarterback class that most people were down on but the idea of getting a guy like sam howell in the fifth round or getting the a guy like malik willis with where his upside is even knowing that you're going to have to spend a couple years developing him sort of like an anthony richardson case but you get him in the third round if, if he hits a ceiling he's going to he's going to the pro bowl every single year so i mean like just by definition, it's sort of a bonanza where you get them, and, and the same held true with Washington with Hall on the fifth round. I'm with you on that. Off what you observed during Senior Bowl week, what are the top positions in the 2023 draft? Um, for well, you know, as, as far as Senior Bowl specific, the best ones it was the trenches and it was the cornerback class, and maybe you could even stretch that to, to the defensive backfield. Those were the guys that were uh, consistently impressing. The one-on-ones in the trenches were must-see TV and Mobile. And we had some some great theater during the one-on-one receiver against DBs as well. And I think that holds true over the entire class. Um, we, what we know about this class, the cornerbacks, this is going to be one of the biggest quarterback classes. And, and not in terms of volume. I'm talking about in terms of their size, their aggregate size, that we've had in like ever. In the end, like there's so many boundary guys in this class that are above six foot one, above 200 pounds, and have ridiculously long wingspans, and are used to in college playing press man corner. Um, so I, I, that's one thing to watch out for, and and the trenches as well. I, I think some of the the sexier positions are a little bit down from where they've been. For instance, the last um, Al, you know, the last three four years, we've had ludicrous receiver class after ludicrous receiver class, where we're sort of like crawling over ourselves to try to hype it more than the year before. Because it's like, oh my, oh my god! Like last year, I was saying it was the best of all time, but this this year seems like it's even better. This year, we're falling off with that, you know, at, at the very top. Um, that what this class lacks, it's like those tier one receivers. But like after that tier, you drop down. The rest of it holds up i i think like the depth of it it's just a, at the very top it doesn't the running back class has the one stud that we know of for sure Bijan. there's some question marks later on you probably have to go commit sort of mix and match with committee guys i do think there's going to be some good values down there but i i think this is more of your infrastructure type draft and then building up the back end of your defense kind of draft 
With the receivers, uh, we have a lot of Virginia fans who listen to this podcast. Uh, one of your biggest risers from Senior Bowl week was Virginia receiver Don Tavian Wicks. What stood out to you about him? He had a really good week. Um, and he was one of those guys that I was sort of targeting to watch even closer because of contextual reasons. 2021, he was one of the best receivers in the nation. And he, he had just sort of popped. Like before then, we didn't know a lot about him. He was just dominating 2021. 2022, his play fell off a shelf. And, you know, you have to bake in somewhat the context of the situation. Virginia was weighed down. They had lost their entire offensive line. They had lost their coaching staff, new offensive philosophy in there and everything like that. The Brennan Armstrong kid was under duress the entire season right after he snapped the ball. And so Dontavian Wicks, a guy known for his route running, he didn't really have the opportunity last year to go through some of the route progressions because Armstrong was getting the ball out so fast. But like two areas of his game that were problematic for me that dropped off in 2022 was the uh, contested catch rate and then just the the catch rate overall. He dropped Wicks dropped a lot more balls last year than he had before then. And he was not making those plays in traffic that you had seen the year before. And so I wanted to see. Uh, is the route running for real here in Mobile? Like, is he is consistently shaking guys with the footwork and the subterfuge and stuff like that? And then also, in the situations where he's crowded at the catch point, is he going to make the play? In, uh, in those two, with a box of those two, big check marks. He was one of the best route runners that we saw out there in Mobile, and he was not dropping the balls that some of these other receivers are, which consistently making plays on them. He is a big-time riser because he proved to evaluators out there, I am closer to what the 2021 20, tape says I am than the fluky occurrences that happened in 2022. Who was the Senior Bowl Week participant who most changed your opinion of him in a good way? Tajay Spears would be one guy, and I was high on Tajay Spears coming in, but like the strengths he emphatically proved. The the big thing that Tajay Spears did for himself this past week was he addressed every weakness. We came into this week, one of the questions on his evaluation was he was too small. He was listed at 190 by Tulane before last year, 195 by Tulane this past season. Uh, He shows up and he weighs in at 204. Tajay Spears told us on Wednesday he was up to 197 for the bowl game against USC. And then over the last month, he had gained seven pounds in, in pre-draft training. Well, so so he checks that box of, of, of the size thing. The, thre- the size threshold in the NFL, 210 for running back. So now you're, you're right under that. Then it's would he retain the movement even if he was bigger. He absolutely did. He was the most explosive back in Mobile. And then the third big one was what is his usage on third downs? Because they didn't throw him the ball a ton in college. You know, the the pass pro stuff, like they would bring in other backs off the bench to handle a lot of that stuff. Tajay Spears was one of the smoothest receiving backs that that we saw this week, both in terms of running the routes and then also in terms of his hands. Um, He's another guy that's going to show up to Indianapolis and his medicals are going to be important for him because he has the torn ACL in in his recent past. But like just what we saw in the field. You have to put him up there with the biggest winners at the entire event. I think he was the biggest winner on offense. So he he would be a guy I would point to. A uh, philosophical topic for you. You study college football in the NFL draft. One of the most interesting things to me about the NFL and college football is how the innovation in the sport doesn't start at the top, i.e., the NFL and trickle down. Uh, Instead, the innovation starts at the level or levels beneath the NFL and then moves up to the NFL. The read option is a perfect example of this. So as the NFL continues to have mixed, if not disappointing results with drafting quarterbacks, should NFL teams be doing even more to adapt their offenses to make them more like what these quarterbacks are playing in college? 
this is a great point out and, and you're totally right and i would even go beyond college i think the innovation really starts at the high school level and then the colleges you'll start to see them stealing this stuff from the high schools and then the nfl will eventually steal them from colleges it's almost like those levels they have to prove the concept that some <laughs> of these wonky ideas could work and then the like like for instance you know air raid that was something the nfl thought was ludicrous 15 yeah. years ago but high school proved the concept then college proved the concept and then finally the nfl was like oh man maybe you know putting the, the ball in the air a whole bunch you know and, and like getting that stuff down maybe that will help our offenses um so you, i mean your point's really well taken on that and it's going to continue um of things of situationally stealing things that you have seen work at a lower level that's just going to continue and, and you're totally right that's what leads to the innovation of these offense and these defenses as well is there a limit in the NFL to how much the concepts from the lower levels of football can work in the NFL? I think the only limit, it's like the, the space-time dimensions of the, of the rule book. But outside of that, you're not really bound by anything. There's there's some stuff that that is is taking advantage of poor uh, athletes you know, on the defense in those lower levels. Those things aren't going to translate as well. But the rest of it, I absolutely think they are. Like, you know, I mean, like one of the recent ones with the NFL was the RPO. It was another thing where like, it was like, oh, that's just a lower level thing. And then, you know, and then eventually the NFL's like, no, situationally, we can actually use this. And uh, the Giants were a team that made the playoffs this year because they made good use of the RPO game. So you're only going to see the NFL continue to, to steal those things. And that's the way that it should be. And a good bit of proof of that uh, are the two teams in this Sunday evening Super Bowl, Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, two teams that have done excellent jobs of adapting to quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and uh, Patrick Mahomes, respectively. NFL draft and college football analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. He is outstanding. Uh, Thor, thank you so much and all the best. Always enjoy joining you. Thank you. All right. Hope that you enjoyed our conversation with the mighty Thor Nystrom. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. The ratings and the reviews do help us out a lot. So thank you for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we move now to the Wizards. Uh, oh, <laughs> what a weekend for our Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, so the Wizards entered the weekend having won a season-best six consecutive games. Uh, the Wizards exited the weekend having just done something that no NBA team had done over the last quarter century. Uh, Friday night, a 124-116 loss to the Portland Trailblazers at Capital One Arena. The Wizards in that game blew a 20-point second-quarter lead. Saturday evening, a 125-123 loss at the Brooklyn Nets. The Wizards in that game blew a 23-point first-quarter lead and a 21-point third-quarter lead. The Wizards, with these losses, became the first NBA team over the last 25 seasons to lose regular season games on consecutive days, with each loss coming in a game in which the team led by at least 20 points. Back-to-back choke job losses. Back-to-back gack job losses by our Wizards over the weekend. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly, Stephen A., Thank you. Wizards now are 24 and 28. And, you know, you think about the timing of what happened over the weekend. The NBA trade deadline is just days away now. The NBA trade deadline is this Thursday, February 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. The six-game winning streak perhaps had Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard thinking one way. Uh, Now, perhaps, he is thinking another way, and I hope that he is thinking that other way. The Wizards aren't close to anything significant. They need to take a bigger picture approach, as opposed to doing all that they can each season to get to 40-plus regular season wins and a playoff spot. You know, the goals should not be 40-plus regular season wins and a playoff spot. The goals should be 50-plus regular season wins. Heck, 60-plus regular season wins and a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. And the Wizards are miles away from those things. Uh, These losses over the weekend for the Wizards were humiliating and sobering losses. Uh, They were the basketball god's way of telling the Wizards, Uh, No, 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 no. (laughs) You're not close to anything significant. Uh, So let's black box what the heck happened with the Wizards these last few days. So Friday night, the loss to the Blazers at Capital One Arena. This was the Wizards' first game in four days uh, due to the team's game at the Detroit Pistons this past Wednesday night being postponed uh, due to the Pistons having been unable to fly back from their game at the Dallas Mavericks last Monday night, January 30th, uh, due to severe weather conditions in the Dallas area. And the Wizards on Friday night blew that 20-point second quarter lead. The Wizards in a first half that they won 69-51, held the Blazers to just 4 of 18 on threes and just 13 of 28 on twos. The Wizards in a second half that they lost 73-47, allowed the Blazers to go 13 of 23 on threes and 13 of 19 on twos. The Wizards in that second half had zero answer for Anthony Simons. Uh, Anthony Simons in the second half on Friday night. You ready for this? Seven of nine on threes, two of three on twos, and two of two on free throws. He scored 27 of his 33 points. 
Now, who is Anthony Simons, you may be asking? Well, the Blazers took Simons with the number 24 pick in the 2018 NBA draft. So yeah, this is a guy who was a late first round pick, number 24 pick in the 2018 draft. The Wizards in the 2018 NBA draft took Troy Brown Jr. with the number 15 pick. And yet Anthony Simons is blowing up and Troy Brown Jr. at this point is long gone. More on the Wizards' recent draft history in moments. Uh, But then in the loss at the Nets on Saturday evening. Uh, So the Wizards for this game were without two key players and did lose another key player. Uh, Bradley Beal did not play on Saturday evening. He did not play due to left foot soreness. Uh, Bradley Beal now in this 2022-2023 regular season has missed 21 of the Wizards' 52 games. This is not being talked about enough. Bradley Beal is back to being injury prone this season. He had been a lot better in that regard in recent seasons. He, this season, has missed a lot of time. And of course, you can't talk about that without making mention of what the Wizards gave Beal this past summer, right? This past July 6th, our Wizards officially announced having re-signed Beal to a five-year contract, what was a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract, richest contract in D.C. sports history. He is making $50-plus million per season, And yet he, this regular season, has missed 21 of the Wizards' 52 games. Now, look, he doesn't mean to be missing these games, okay? I mean, I'm sure he feels bad about missing these games, but this is part of the problem when you give 50-plus million dollars per season to a guy who, first of all, isn't an elite player, but also is now aging. You know, Bradley Beal now has been in the NBA for more than a decade. This is his age 29 season, and he's passed his physical peak. You know, so you're paying a guy 50 plus million dollars per season who isn't elite to begin with as he's going into his 30s, as he's going into his decline years. Uh, Also, Kyle Kuzma on Saturday evening, he suffered a sprained left ankle in the second quarter, did not play at all in the second half. Uh, Kuzma in the game ended up playing for just 11 minutes, 15 seconds as a starter. He went 0 of 1 on threes, 0 of 5 on two, so 0 of 6 from the field. Uh, He went 2 of 2 on three throws, but he scored just the two points, uh, although he did have five assists versus no turnovers and did have two rebounds. Uh, Kuzma in the loss on Friday night, 36 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter. Another bad shooting game, 0 of 5 on threes, although he did go 4 of 6 on twos, 4 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists versus two turnovers. And Anthony Gill, uh, he over the weekend remained out due to still being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Uh, The Wizards on Friday night, by the way, did get back. Daniel Gafford, he was back from a one-game absence caused by a non-COVID illness. So the Wizards on Saturday evening were without some key guys. But understand that the Nets on Saturday evening were without multiple key players. Uh, The Nets were without Kyrie Irving. (laughs) Off the big news on Friday afternoon of multiple reports that uh, he asked to be traded. And uh, now, of course, he is being traded uh, to the Dallas Mavericks. But uh, the Nets for this game listed Kyrie as being out Due to right calf soreness. Yeah, I'm sure that was it. Uh, our guy, Prince George's County, Maryland native, Kevin Durant. Uh, he, on Saturday evening, did not play due to an MCL sprain in his right knee. And Ben Simmons, on Saturday evening, did not play due to left knee soreness. So, yeah, the Wizards were without Bradley Beal and did lose Kyle Kuzma. But the Nets were Sons, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. And yet, the Wizards, on Saturday evening, blew a 23-point first-quarter lead and a 21-point third-quarter lead. The Wizards had an amazing first quarter that they won 
44-25. Yeah, the Wizards on Saturday evening pumped in 44 points in the first quarter. The Wizards in that first quarter went 7-10 on threes, 6 of 11 on twos, and 11-13 on free throws. But the Wizards over the final three quarters, just 6 of 18 on threes, just 33 of 70 on twos, and just 21 of 28 on free throws. And the Wizards on Saturday evening in the second half got destroyed by Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas in the second half, 17 minutes, 46 seconds as a reserve, 30 points. He, for the game, in 29 minutes, 8 seconds as a reserve, scored 44 points. Cam Thomas, on Saturday evening, set an NBA record for the most points in a regular season game by a reserve in less than 30 minutes of playing time. Yes, NBA record. So Friday night, Anthony Simons did the Wizards dirty. Saturday evening, Cam Thomas did the Wizards dirty. And I a few minutes ago mentioned how the Blazers took Simons deep in the first round of the 2018 NBA draft. Well, the Nets took Cam Thomas with the number 27 pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Uh, Our Wizards in the 2021 draft took Corey Kispert with the number 15 pick. Uh, Thomas, by the way, uh, is a pseudo-local. He went to Oak Hill Academy in uh, what is called Mouth of Wilson, Virginia. But boy, was it not telling. The Wizards in these back-to-back choke job losses getting torched by guys who were taken late in the first rounds of NBA drafts. The Wizards, when it comes to the NBA draft, have been so bad for so long And to me, what we saw from Anthony Simons on Friday night and Cam Thomas on Saturday evening, like slaps in the face of just how bad the Wizards have been in NBA drafts for years. Uh, This was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on a second consecutive gack job loss. Uh, And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. Well, it stinks. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, you feel like we, we let one go. Um, and it's tough, you know, KP fouls out with about three minutes left, you know, you lose Kuz in the second half, but like I said, we still had enough offense, um, you know, trying to get stops, you know, and that, that was the biggest piece. We weren't in, uh, unable to get stops. How do you describe the locker room after back-to-back like Frustrated. I mean, it's, there's no way to sugarcoat that. That, that sucks. You know, they have a decent lead in the first half, um, and you just can't sustain it. No, you can't. Uh, the biggest bright spot for the Wizards over the weekend was Chris Tapps Porzingis. Uh, Friday night, 66 of the Wizards' 116 points came from just two players, Bradley Beal and Chris Tapps Porzingis. Uh, Beal in 32 minutes, 18 seconds as a starter, 4 of 10 on threes, 10 of 15 on twos, and 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 34 points and three rebounds, uh, all of which were offensive rebounds. Uh, Chris Tapps Porzingis on Friday night in what was just his second game back from a three-game absence caused by a sprained left ankle that he suffered in the Wizards' 138-118 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena on January 21st. was good. Uh, Porzingis, 35 minutes, 12 seconds as a starter, 3 of 6 on threes, 6 and 9 on twos, 11 of 12 on free throws. He finished with 32 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists versus one turnover. And then on Saturday evening, Chris Porzingis, uh, in his third game back, 
from the sprained left ankle. Good once again. Uh, 32 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter. 4 of 5 on 3, 7 of 15 on 2s, 12 of 13 on free throws. He finished with 38 points, 5 rebounds, 2 blocks, and 2 assists. Although he did commit 5 turnovers and he did foul out with 2 minutes, 51 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So the Wizards over the final 251 of the game were without the team's top three players in Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, and Chris Dapps Porzingis. Uh, also on Saturday evening, some good stuff from Monte Morris, 33 minutes, 19 seconds as a starter, two of five on threes, five of nine on twos. He finished with 18 points, eight assists versus two turnovers, five rebounds, and two steals. He did go just to two of four on free throws. And Denny Avdia, who did not have a good game on Friday night, did have a good game on Saturday evening, 34 minutes, 16 seconds as a reserve, four of nine on threes. He finished with 23 points, six rebounds, four steals, and three assists. He did go just two of five on twos and just seven of 12 on free throws and did commit three turnovers. But, you know, the individual bright spots, while nice, do not make up for what was a disastrous weekend for the Wizards. And, you know, now you have to wonder about, okay, where are we exactly uh, with Kyle Kuzma from a health standpoint with him having suffered this sprained left ankle on Saturday evening? Uh, Next up for the Wizards is a game on Monday night, home to the Cleveland Cavaliers at 7. And the Wizards on Sunday afternoon did announce that Kyle Kuzma is out for that game. Well, let's talk college basketball. The next Associated Press Top 25 poll will be coming out on Monday. Not that the AP Top 25 poll is as big of a deal as it used to be. Uh, It isn't. Things like the KenPalm.com rankings and the net rankings matter more, but it still is nice to be ranked in the AP Top 25. And man, (laughs) does Maryland now have a case to be a part of the AP Top 25. The Terrapins are rolling. Uh, Maryland improved to 16-7 and overall and 7-5 and in the Big Ten with an 81-46 win at Minnesota on Saturday night. Uh, the Terps, in winning by 35 points, matched the program's largest margin of victory in a Big Ten game since joining the conference beginning with the 2014-2015 season. Uh, the Terps notched their largest margin of victory in a road conference game since, get this, an 81-41 win at Clemson. On December 4th, 1953, uh, in what was the Terps' second ever game in the ACC, Maryland now has won four consecutive games in five of the team's last six games. Now, Minnesota is terrible. Uh, the Gophers, with this loss, fell to just 1-11 and 11 in the Big Ten. But still, this was an impressive win for Maryland. The Terps didn't just defeat Minnesota. The Terps demolished Minnesota. This wasn't just a win. This was an assault, okay? The Terps never trailed in the game. They led by at least 20 points for the entire second half. Uh, Maryland's defense was outstanding. The Terps held Minnesota to just 46 points, just 2 of 14 on threes, and just 11 of 24 on twos. The Terps generated 16 Minnesota turnovers, finished with 23 points off turnovers to Minnesota's two. Uh, The Terps totaled nine steals. Uh, The Terps shooting was pretty good, although they did go just 6 of 11 on free throws, but Maryland continued to limit turnovers. Uh, The Terps finished with 17 assists versus a mere five turnovers. The Terps lately have been so much better at not committing turnovers. And uh, speaking of being so much better lately, uh, we on Saturday night saw the continued rise 
of 6'9 sophomore Julian Reese. Uh, Julian Reese was a consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland. Big things were expected from Reese, a.k.a. Juju. And Juju is blossoming before our eyes. Uh, Reese on Saturday night played for just 20 minutes as a starter, but he finished with 16 points, five rebounds, including four offensive boards, and three assists versus no turnovers. Uh, How's that for efficiency? Just 20 minutes of playing time, and yet 16 points, five rebounds, including four offensive boards, and three assists versus no turnovers. Uh, Reese went 8-10 from the field, all twos, and 0-2 on free throws. Uh, Charlotte graduate student transfer Jameer Young, a product of DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, He, on Saturday night, played for just 21 minutes as a starter. He went 1-1 on threes, 5-8 on twos, and 1-1 on free throws. He finished with 14 points, three rebounds, and two steals. Uh, Dante Scott, on Saturday night, just 25 minutes as a starter, 2-3 on threes. He finished with 13 points, six rebounds, and two assists, versus one turnover. He did go just uh, three and nine on twos and one and two on free throws. But as you can tell, Terp said coach Kevin Willard on Saturday night did not have to play his starters for long. Uh, Willard ended up playing 15 Maryland players in the game. Uh, next up for the Terps at Michigan State, Tuesday night at 9. Uh, Georgetown on Saturday afternoon flirted with a big upset win, uh, but the Hoyas did not come through. Uh, Georgetown Fell to 6-18 overall and 1-12 in the Big East with a 68-62 loss to number 24 UConn at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Uh, The Hoyas did overcome an eight-point deficit with less than seven and a half minutes left in the second half. Georgetown had a one-point lead at 61-60 with just over three minutes left in the second half. But the Hoyas then lost the rest of the game 8-1. A very mixed game defensively for the Hoyas. They held UConn to just 15 of 40 on twos, and to just five free throw attempts for the entire game. But the Hoyas also allowed UConn to go 12 of 24 on threes, although the Hoyas did do a really good job on one of UConn's best players, a local, uh, 6'5 sophomore guard Jordan Hawkins, uh, who went to DeMatha. Uh, the Hoyas held Hawkins to just two of seven on threes and just two of six on twos. Hawkins, in 36 minutes as a starter, finished with just 10 points and no assists versus three turnovers. He did have two blocks and two offensive rebounds. And yeah, offensive rebounds, uh, they were a problem for Georgetown on Saturday afternoon. The Hoyas finished with just 11 offensive rebounds to UConn's 19, and thus just eight second chance points to UConn's 23. The Hoyas also had a really mixed game offensively. Went 7-16 to on threes, you like that, uh, but also went just 16-37 on twos and just 9-14 of on free throws. And how about this? The Hoyas did not have a single made field goal over the final four minutes, 42 seconds of the game. This was a winnable game, but uh, Georgetown's offense uh, went nearly silent over the final 442. Uh, 34 of the Hoyas' 62 points came from just two players, uh, Brandon Murray and Jay Heath. Uh, the LSU transfer, Brandon Murray, 35 minutes as a starter, two of five on threes. He finished with 21 points, four rebounds, three steals, and two assists, but he did commit a lot of turnovers. He committed seven of the Hoyas' 10 turnovers. He also committed five fouls, and he went to six of 13 on twos and just three of five on free throws. Uh, Jay Heath, the Arizona State transfer, in just his second game back from an eight-game absence caused by a left-hand injury, played well 26 minutes off the bench. Three of five on threes, 13 points, three rebounds, and two steals. He did go just to two of six 
on twos. And it's a good thing that uh, Brandon Murray and Jay Heath did as they did because the Hoyas' leading scorer, the Duquesne transfer, Primo Spears, he got totally shut down as a scorer. Uh, Spears on Saturday afternoon, 36 minutes as a starter. He attempted just one shot, a two, and he went scoreless. This is a guy who came into the game averaging a team-best 16.8 points per game for this season. Uh, You got to give credit to UConn's Andre Jackson Jr. He did an outstanding job on Spears. Now, Spears did have five assists versus one turnover, but he was a non-factor as a scorer. Uh, Next up for Georgetown, at number 17 Providence, Wednesday night at 8. Also on Saturday afternoon, the Commonwealth Clash uh, which resulted in an upset. Uh, Virginia Tech defeated number six Virginia 74 68 at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. The loss snapped the Cavaliers' seven game winning streak. They fell to 17 4 overall and 9 3 in the ACC. The Hokies improved to 14 9 overall, 4 8 in the ACC, and 3 1 since their seven game losing streak. You know, something that I said when the Hokies were losing was that they weren't like getting killed in those games. Tech basically was doing just enough to lose those games. It always felt like Tech was better than the results of its games. And sure enough, we are starting to see that now uh, with better results in games. Uh, This was Hokies head coach Mike Young during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon. You know, Mike Young is a pretty entertaining guy. You're going to hear him reference Tech having been in an abyss Uh, That word stands out because that's a word that was used to describe what was going on with Tech in a recent piece by longtime Virginia Tech and Virginia reporter and columnist David Teal of Richmond.com. Mike Young has a sense of humor. Here you go. We're trying to make it back from the abyss. That's a step ahead. We've got a ways to go. But um, yes, uh, the term was the abyss and we were there. Uh, Let's hope that we can continue to move in a positive direction. Yes, the Hokies a climb out of the abyss is happening. Uh, Virginia on Saturday afternoon never held a lead. This game, from a statistical standpoint, was actually pretty even. The biggest difference was two-point shooting. Uh, the Hokies went 20 of 35 on twos. The Cavs went just 19 of 43 on twos. Uh, here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon. Great college atmosphere. It really was. I told the guys, you know, that's fun to compete in that, but it, it's not fun to lose, and it stinks to, to come on the other side. But the heart was there, but to win in this setting against a team that's, you know, playing good basketball, uh, and Tech is, and they've got the players, you got to be um, you got to be heart and smart. <laughs> you can't just be all heart. It's got to be and smart, and we were for stretches, and they made us, you know, make some adjustments that helped a little bit, but they made the big shots. And among those Hokie players who made big shots were four starters, Sean Padula, Justin Mutz, Grant Basile, and Hunter Couture. Uh, Sean Padula, 34 minutes, 22 seconds as a starter, two of six on threes, four of seven on twos, eight of nine on free throws. He finished with 22 points and five rebounds. Uh, Justin Mutz, 38 minutes, 28 seconds as a starter, 0 of one on threes, seven of 10 on twos, and three of three on free throws. He finished with 17 points, eight assists versus two turnovers, four rebounds, including two offensive boards and two steals. Uh, the Wright State graduate student transfer, Grant Basile, 28 minutes, 54 seconds as a starter, two or three on threes, four or seven on twos. He finished with 14 points, four assists versus one turnover, four rebounds and three blocks. And Hunter Couture, so he did not have a very good game statistically. He missed his first six field goal attempts, but he in the second half went three or four on threes. And Couture in the game did a very good job defensively 
on UVA's Armand Franklin. Uh, Franklin is a key player for the Cavs, but he on Saturday afternoon in 30 minutes, 38 seconds as a starter went just one of four on threes and just one of five on twos and just one of three on free throws. He had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 12. Uh, now, for the Wahoos, uh, they did have three big individual bright spots, Jaden Gardner, Kihei Clark, and Reese Beekman. Uh, Jaden Gardner, good for a third consecutive game. I tell you, if you are a Virginia fan, the rise of Jaden Gardner is very encouraging right now. Gardner, on Saturday afternoon, 30 minutes, 36 seconds as a starter, 20 points, 10 rebounds, including six offensive boards and two steals. Now, he wasn't ultra-efficient. Uh, he went just 8 of 18 from the field, all twos, and just 4 of 7 on free throws, and did have one assist versus three turnovers. But Gardner has been a lot better lately of having been slumping. Uh, Kihei Clark on Saturday afternoon, 35 minutes, 29 seconds as a starter, 3 of 7 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 5 rebounds, and 4 assists versus two turnovers. And Reese Beekman, on Saturday afternoon, 36 minutes, 53 seconds as a starter. 0 at 2 on threes, but 5 and 9 on twos, 5 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 15 points, 5 assists versus 1 turnover and 4 rebounds, including 2 offensive boards. But how about this? Caden Shedrick did not play at all. Uh, the 6'8 Ohio graduate student transfer, Ben Vanderplas, started over Shedrick for a sixth consecutive game. Okay, that's one thing, but Shedrick ended up not playing at all. And, you know, the Hoos could have perhaps used the 6'11", Caden Shedrick. The Hokies finished with 40 points in the paint. Shedrick is a rim protector, uh, but he did not play at all. And the Hokies had their way in the paint. Here was Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on not playing Caden Shedrick. Yeah, we just, um, you know, I thought the physicality with uh, Poppy was good, um, and he did a good job when he was in there. Caden is available to play. You can't play everyone, but we were having some trouble, to, I thought, offensively against their stuff, so we wanted to go with some small guys, which I liked, and then we decided to switch and use our mobility. So, you know, those are decisions you make all the time, but, uh, but again, they were physical, went with Poppy, but certainly Caden is available. All right, next up for Virginia, home to NC State, Tuesday night at 9. And next up for Virginia Tech, home to Boston College, Wednesday night at 7. Well, the Capitals over the weekend did not play a game. Uh, no NHL team over the weekend played a game. Uh, we had the NHL's All-Star break going on from Thursday through Sunday, and the Caps, uh, after the break, uh, then have their bye week. Uh, so their next game isn't until this Saturday afternoon uh, when they are at the NHL-leading Boston Bruins at 3.30. Speaking of NHL All-Star Weekend, by the way, uh, how about Sergei Ovechkin, a.k.a. O.V. Jr.? Uh, Sergei Ovechkin, he is the four-year-old son, of course, of Caps winger Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Alex Ovechkin was the Caps' lone all-star. Uh, Alex had a goal and two assists in the Metropolitan Division's 10-6 loss to the Atlantic Division in one of the two semis in the NHL All-Star Tournament on Saturday. Sergei Ovechkin, though, ended up stealing the show over the last few days, uh, including on Friday night actually participating in the NHL All-Star Skills Events Breakaway Challenge. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, and believe it or not, his arch rival, his arch enemy, Pittsburgh Penguins center, Sidney Crosby, uh, they very interestingly were announced as dual entrants in the Breakaway Challenge. And then we understood why 
some scheduled fun. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, and Sergei Ovechkin ended up performing a three-on-none breakaway in the breakaway challenge. Uh, Sergei ended up with the puck last, and he went five-hole on the goaltender, uh, Roberto Luongo, and Sergei scored. Uh, now, Luongo now is retired, so I guess he was okay with letting uh, Ovi Jr. score the goal. Uh, Sergei Ovechkin also partook in some media stuff. Uh, But we also, over the last few days, had some serious, no-nonsense Capitals news. Uh, The Caps on Friday morning announced the re-signing of forward Dylan Strome to a five-year, $25 million contract extension. And the Caps on Saturday evening announced the re-signing of forward Sonny Milano to a three-year, $5.7 million contract extension. So not one, but two contract extensions announced by the Caps over these last few days. Uh, Strome and Milano, each guy is in his first season with the Caps. Uh, Each guy had been on a one-year contract with the Caps. Uh, Each guy is in his mid-20s, and each guy had been a first-round bust. Uh, The Caps initially signed Strom this past July 14th on what was day two of NHL free agency. Uh, They signed him as an unrestricted free agent to a one-year $3.5 million contract, and Strom this season has been a real bright spot for the Caps. Uh, Strom in the 2022-2023 regular season has been one of the Caps' most productive players. He, as we speak, is second on the Caps in assists with 25 third on the Caps in points with 36, third on the Caps in power play points with 14, and fourth on the Caps in goals with 11. Here, to me, is the biggest takeaway with the Caps signing Strom to this contract extension. Uh, Bye-bye, Lars Eller. Uh, This extension would seem to signal the end for center Lars Eller with the Caps. Uh, Eller is set to be an unrestricted free agent this coming offseason. His name has come up in trade rumors. So the NHL trade deadline is on Friday, March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern. And Eller is an older player on a Caps team that needs to get younger. Uh, this season is Lars Eller's age 33 season, but is just Dylan Strom's age 25 season. Uh, now, the Caps, via this extension, will be paying Strom $5 million per season. So, you know, this isn't exactly a bargain signing. Now, additionally, there is a bit of a risk here with Strom because he had been considered a bust. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes took him with the number three pick in the 2015 NHL draft, but the Caps are Strom's third NHL team, and he actually was non-tendered by the Chicago Blackhawks. He, this past offseason, was supposed to be a restricted free agent, but the Blackhawks non-tendered him, making him an unrestricted free agent. But Strom is young. Uh, again, this is just his age 25 season. He can play both center and wing, and he this season has been one of the Caps' best players. Uh, as for Sonny Milano, so the Caps initially signed him this past October 16th, signed him as an unrestricted free agent. They then placed him on waivers for the purpose of loaning him to AHL affiliate Hershey. The Caps then recalled Milano from Hershey on November 2nd. He has played in 40 games for the Caps, and he has been productive. Uh, Milano, over his 40 games for the Caps in this regular season, eight goals and 14 assists. Uh, since making his Caps debut on November 5th, Milano's eight goals ranked tied for fourth on the team, and his 22 points rank sixth on the team. Uh, And this season is just his age 26 season. Now, the Caps are Milano's third NHL team. He was taken by the Columbus Blue Jackets with the number 16 pick in the 2014 NHL draft. Uh, The Sonny Milano extension is not the Dylan Strom extension. Milano's extension has an average annual value, an AAV of $1.9 million. Uh, Strom's extension has an AAV of $5.7 
$5 million. But you know what? Perhaps our camps have found a market inefficiency here. Signing first-round busts on the cheap and then getting solid production out of them. You know, we actually saw this with winger Brett Connolly a few years ago, if you remember his time with the Caps, and we are seeing this with Strom and Milano this season. And while we're talking contracts, the Nationals, uh, they on Saturday afternoon announced another bargain basement signing this offseason. Uh, the Nats announced the signing of pitcher Chad Cool to a minor league contract with an invite to the Nats 2023 Major League Spring Training. Uh, the 2023 season will be Cool's age 30 season. Uh, Chad Cool last season pitched for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, he, in the 2022 regular season, made 27 starts, but he totaled just 137 innings. That works out to slightly more than just five innings per start. Uh, he had an ERA of 572 and an ERA plus of just 82. Uh, ERA plus is ERA that's adjusted for a player's league and home ballpark. 100 is average. So note, even with Chad Cool pitching at the hitter's heaven that is Coors Field, his ERA plus, even with the adjustment, still came out to just 82, well below league average. Uh, although he did toss a shutout at Coors Field, a three-hit shutout of, believe it or not, the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, this happened this past June 27th. Go figure. Uh, Chad Cool is a Tommy John guy. Uh, he underwent Tommy John surgery in September 2018. You know, the Nats need guys like Chad Cool just to get through the upcoming season. Uh, now, it does appear that if everyone is healthy, uh, the Nats rotation will be Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Cade Cavalli, Patrick Corbin, and Trevor Williams. But as we know, everyone over the course of a season is not healthy. Uh, to say nothing of the potential for one or more of these guys to struggle, to say nothing of the potential for guys like Mackenzie Gore and Cade Cavalli to be facing innings limits. So as underwhelming as uh, Chad Cool is, uh, a guy like him is necessary uh, for some organizational starting pitching depth for a Nats team that, of course, is rebuilding uh, and uh, still has a long way to go in building up organizational starting pitching depth. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 502. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Uh, also, we'll talk Wizards, so the Wizard home to the Cleveland Cavaliers Monday night at 7. Hey, maybe the Wiz won't blow a 20-point lead in that game. Maybe the Wiz will actually win that game. Who knows? Uh, have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. We're trying to make it back from the abyss. That's a step ahead. We've got a ways to go. But, um, yes, uh, the term was the abyss, and we were there. Uh, let's hope that we can continue to move in a positive direction. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.